one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. England bounced back from a heavy defeat in the first ODI to level the series in impressive style in Southampton on Sunday. We'll discuss Liam Livingstone's recent return to form and we'll hear from England Test captain Ben Stokes on his plans for a long-term knee problem and fixing it. Durham head coach Ryan Campbell joins us after they secured promotion back to Division 1 of the county championship despite not even actually playing this week. We'll speak live to fast bowler all-rounder Logan van Beek as the Netherlands prepare to play in their first World Cup in 12 years and we'll hear a fascinating story about his background. We'll also discuss the news that Mark Wood could play franchise cricket instead of playing for England in India this winter and we'll take a look at uh, the week's other stories as Quinton de Kock announces his retirement from ODI cricket and Sri Lanka shock England in a T20 series. So as always, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, before we discuss the cricket itself, well, I want to ask you about um, the big news story of the week off the field and the presence of your mate, Fred Flintoff, Andrew Flintoff, back in the England change room, um, nine months after that near-fatal crash on um, Top Gear and uh, and a very, very popular addition to the England change room, it would seem. Yeah, very popular. The way Josh spoke about him and, and one or two others have, have spoke about him, see him laughing and carrying on on the balcony with obviously the likes of Joe Root and Ben Stokes. It's brilliant to see. It is. It's fantastic. I was with him about six weeks ago. Two lads played against each other, Rocky and Charlie, um, in a game at Witness, which was another uh, fantastic thing to see because we've shared a hell of a lot of things in in our time, the Flintoff Harmison family. So to have the two boys playing against each other was was great fun. And it, it was good to see him. Yeah, at the time he he had sort of he had a face covering. So he was trying to sort of cover up obviously what what had happened to him, but it's obviously more and more that he's feeling confident of coming out in public, which was and it was a brilliant sight because I must admit, manners when I seen I seen the, the sort of pictures from the accident and seen him. I'm not going to lie. I, I was in I was in tears. I was I was upset to see somebody so close have to go through what was a, a horrific accident um, and rehabilitation to get himself back to even be able to work again. So to see him on the field uh, on the field and having a laugh and a carry on with the boys, that was brilliant. I know he's been doing something with the under 19s 
Um, and this is just that one step further of coming out back into into the public. And I was I was I was over the moon. I really was. I you can't you can't sort of I put into words how proud I was to see him. You know, back sitting on a, in an England shirt, back on the field, and and that dressing room, they'll enjoy having him around because that's where you know he was a, a world class all rounder, but he was even better in the dressing room as a character, as a person, just to be around in the dressing room. He was box office, and I'm sure the likes of Ben Stokes, who gets you know the the similarities cross over between you know the all rounders of Stokes and Botham and Flintoff. For Ben to just be able to pick his brands, for Ben to be in close proximity to to Andrew, to understand what Andrew went through as a as a cricketer, but as a off the field as well, with the the sort of the uh, scrutiny that that was that was sort of dealt with with Andrew's career, I think it'll, it'll help Ben Stokes no end as well. Just to just to be able to talk to somebody that knows exactly what it's like to captain England, be the the main character in the team the all-rounder that everybody looks up to um and also you know the character in the dressing room as well so to see him you know sitting with Trez was um, I must admit it was a lump in the throat and I was really really proud to see the big fella back it was it was a brilliant brilliant sight I must say Harmy that crash was nine months ago and you know he's still got a dressing on the nose and some of those wounds still look reasonably fresh I mean I'm assuming that there was some reconstruction and plastic surgery involved um and if nothing else you know, when somebody gets a dodgy LBW and Freddie's in the change room and they come back, they, they he will at least provide a sense of perspective. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Any, any, it will. And, and it's you know, you, you mentioned that you know they are life changing, the life changing scars on on his face, um, and he's dealing with them the best way he possibly can. And I think trying to to sort of get out slowly but surely back into public in a comfortable environment that he's in, which is the cricket ground, the cricket dressing room, I think will help him Will help him no end because the one thing about Andrew Flintoff is he's lived his life for cricket. He was an absolute cricket badger. He lives his life for cricket. From 11-year-old, he was destined to be a superstar. And he, don't, don't get me wrong, he worked extremely hard to be that superstar. But fortunately for cricket at the end of it, and I understand that because I think I did as well, you know, went and tried to go and do something else because... When you've given everything you possibly can for the game, you know sometimes you you've just got nothing left to give, and you appreciate the game more when you have a little break from it. But the problem that Andrew had, or cricket had, was what Andrew went into next paid him a hell of a lot more money than anything that he could come back on a cricket field or in in a cricket dressing room from a, a commentator's point of view or a, a coach's point of view. But when you listen to him talk, you hear him speak, and coaching points that he's got, the knowledge he's got to give. I think he'd be a huge addition to anything that England, the, the ECB can can sort of get help from him from. So just being by being there helps no end. I think him and he will help the team. But he's not just there because he's Freddie Flintoff. I tell you what, there'll be one or two of the lads off the back of working with him for three or four weeks will have enjoyed the experience, not because of the larrikin and the carry-on that he's got, but they're just a little, little points in the right direction of, we are from a technical point of view and from a game awareness point of view. I think Andrew Flintoff is be a very is a, a he is a very very good addition to that England dressing room, both in white ball and red ball cricket. Right. Let's turn our attention to events on the field now. New Zealand were very slow to get out of the blocks in the T Twenty series, and England also looked a bit slow in the first ODI. But um, 
How does it feel when you win a game and you're 28 for four and 55 for five? Um, Liam Livingston put all of the doubters in their place with a quite magnificent 95 not out. But to win a game by 79 runs when you've been 55 for five, does it feel a little bit more special to know that you know that you can you can get into such deep trouble so early on and and still win so comprehensively? Yeah, I think it does. I think not only does does it make it feel that little bit more special. I think from a captain and a coach's point of view, from Matthew Martin, Joss Butler's point of view, it makes it more special because you win with character. Yes, you win with with good performance from some players, i.e. Sam Curran, obviously from Liam, we'll touch on Liam in a second because he was a, it was a wonderful innings. But the, the bowling from Topley and from Willie, you know, the, the way that England held themselves together in the field, because there was times in the field as well that New Zealand were, were right in the game. But I think from a managerial point of view, I think it's a, it, it's a huge tick in the box for the character of the team. And I think that's the beauty about that win for me was they're trying to experiment. They're trying to look at the best dynamics from a, a, a bowling attack point of view. Because obviously they're not, they haven't got that all-rounder in Ben. Um, they're trying to work out what's their best batting order. They're trying to put on pitches which will be more suited from subcontinent point of view because they're a little bit slower. They're a little bit more uh, workmanlike, um, and obviously they're spinning. So all that going into the melting pot, you could look at England and think, well, if they lose a couple of games, it's because they're experimenting. The biggest thing any team can have for me is character. Finding a way to win from every single uh, avenue, which was eight for three, 28 for four, 55 for five, to still be able to get over the line, even by one run, is huge character building. And that, for me, that win will stand them in good stead further down the line when it comes to tough times in, in the World Cup because the character that that dressing room will have, feeling as though they can win from anywhere, um, is huge. And uh, you know the performance of Liam Livingston, yes, it was due. It was due. But I said, on, I think it was on Hawksby and Jacobs a couple of days ago that when they, they mentioned about Harry Brook coming back into the squad and is it going to be Milan? Is it going to be Roy? Is it going to be Livingston? And it was, hold on, we're on Liam Livingston. You give him that little bit of time. You give him that little bit extra because... His ceiling level and his quality is ridiculous. He's in a specific role, which is to end the innings or to finish the game. But he showed in this game that given a little bit more time, there's more to him than that. And that, to go with the fielding package, to go with the bowling package, is why for me, his place was never, ever in jeopardy of Harry Brook in that 15-man squad because the all-round package of William Livingston is, uh, is very, very good. And I think he showed us that the other day. OK, you mentioned that uh, England will be without the all-rounder Ben Stokes, of course, marked his return to ODI cricket with a, a 50 in the first game. This is him on his plans to resume his role as a frontline all-rounder. Since the Ashes, has been well, a month since we finished there, so it's been a good chance to rest up and get into to a good position for these one-dayers and then also the World Cup after. So, look, I've had some good conversations with specialists in different fields around rehab and, and and a plan going forward after the World Cup. So, yeah, there will be potential something happening after the World Cup. Yeah, it was a little bit secretive, wasn't he, about that, uh, what these talks involved and whether it is surgery or, or rehab. Presumably it has to be surgery. Um, but um, five test matches, Harmy. I, I've had a couple of bets with you um, on air over the last uh, uh, couple of years, and I'm, I'm willing to take you another, that the only five-match test series in five years' time and forever after will be the Ashes because suddenly the, 
You know, I just think that the BCCI and the ECB got greedy and they said, right, let's have five test matches. Let's really cash in. But suddenly that series is looking like an epic, an epic journey. And I, I, I you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, how's anybody going to have five, time for five test matches, five test match series apart from the Ashes? So if he's going to have surgery after the World Cup, does he get on that tour? And if he does, does he play all five test matches? Does anybody play all five test matches? Yeah, I think he plays all five test matches. He has to. I'm sorry, Manners. Uh, I agree. I agree that uh, the Ashes could be the only one that is played over five test matches in the future. England against India over five games. Do the BCCI want that? I'll tell you what was interesting this week was he, Mike Graham, saying what he said about Jay Shah, Shah and um, the BCCI. Oof, we'll come on to that in a second, but he, he put his head definitely above the parapet there, did Waz, um, in what he said about you know, the way India are, are, are running cricket. But I think the, the five test matches in the next sort of five years, if it's not England versus India, it, it probably will only be England versus Australia. It depends what the BCCI want. If they want five test matches against India... I'm pretty sure they'll get it. So, <laughs> look, I, I I don't know. I think on Ben, I think Ben plays all five test matches. I think what we have to do is trust him. You know, the biggest thing we have to do with Ben is we know his pain threshold is ridiculously high. We know he'll play on one leg in you know, any given situation for the England cricket team. And I think he's proved that. I think what we have to do is trust that the information he has been given about his knee he can relate to his knee and basically say, right, are we in a position to get through this next six weeks? Yes. If we're not, we do something about it. And I think at this minute in time, while he is in a position to continue playing, I think we have to trust him. I think that's the biggest thing from, from my point of view. Can we trust him to play six, five test matches in seven weeks in India without surgery? Then if he says yes, then I believe he, he can do it. I think then he has to have surgery and, puts the IPL in jeopardy, which uh, that's a personal choice. But I think knowing Ben as I do, I don't think he will jeopardise not walking out five times as England captain in India. I don't think he will do that. So if the surgery will be right in, out, and he's available for India, then I think he'll have it. If he doesn't feel that so right, that that the, the rehab will, will hamper that chances of walking out five times for the toss. And I don't think he'll have it. I think he'll soldier on, play as a batter. And then, then he puts IPL in jeopardy. Because I, I, I'll go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. I don't think Ben Stokes will go to India three times this winter. And I think the, the, the logical one for the one that he misses would be the IPL. He's coming back to win the World Cup and retain the World Cup. His captaincy is so important to him and to England. And he is a multi, multi-millionaire. So the insurance might cover his knee for the IPL, so and he might get that one off. So I think if there's any any doubt, I've got no doubt whatsoever that Ben Stokes will captain England five times against India in India in January, February and March. For the last time in a five-match series between those. Yeah, countries, yeah I, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, um, in part two, I'm going to ask you about Trent Bolt playing his 100th ODI. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, six months ago, we were talking about, well, it's not fair on the players who've been playing uh, for New Zealand, and uh, you know he he didn't take a national contract. He wants to play franchise cricket, um, and it's not fair. You know he can't guarantee that he'll uh, be worth his place in the Black Caps. 
Now, I think six months later, I think New Zealand, uh, those people who are saying that are now saying, thank you very much for agreeing to play with us, uh, play for us, Trent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anytime you want to just, you know, yes. you, that place is yours. <laughs> we'll do that in part two. Um, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Delighted to say that uh, we're joined now by Ryan Campbell, um, who is uh, going to be celebrating, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, he. Well, I tell you what, uh, Ryan, you, you, you talked a good game before the season. My goodness me, have you delivered. I mean, with the positive cricket, the sort of mini basball, the, the scoring, the results, basically. And you're up with uh, with a couple of games to go. I'm slightly concerned Harmy used to tell the story about Durham's first championship success when they also won with a couple of games to go. And it turned out to be a, a kind of giant benefit tour uh, <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> Not so much focus on the cricket. But, yeah, I mean, you've you've got the job done and you've got it done early. Yeah, thanks, mate. Look, um, yeah, obviously you, you, you hope we had, a, we had a plan. I think we had a vision. Um, of what we wanted to do, having it done this stage of the season, obviously is the bonus. And now I get, I hate it. Then now I've got to be a coach and try and come up with stuff that means that all these games are important. But in all honesty, um, the guys have been pretty focused. They want to win the title as well. They don't just want to limp in to Division One. We, we want to make sure that you know from these last two games we show what we can do. And Leicester and Worcester have been the two teams that have pushed us the most. So we got some challenges, but I've no doubt there'll be a few beers along the way. Yeah, I can remember we won that. We won it with four games to go in two thousand and nine, and three of them, three of them were away trips. So you know, we had three stag dudes. I really, I have to, you know, sorry to the Durham members. We weren't exactly as professionally as we should have been, uh, but we enjoyed ourselves and had a good time. And mentioning the members, it's been a long time coming. Uh, you'd have, you'd have obviously felt the. Not the pressure, but the noise and the chatter before the season started about how Durham have, have sort of drawn a lot of games and won many games. So to yeah. do it the fashion you have done, does that make it even more special? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, as a coach, you have some beliefs of how you want to do it. It's like a player. Every individual player wants to play the way he wants to play. And I guess as a coach, I have my clear ways that I wanted to go about it. I've always had beliefs. You know, I was lucky enough to be brought up in a time of Australian cricket was exciting. You know, Rod Marsh um, was our academy coach and he taught us not only how to beat the English, for one, but also how to play the game and, and how to make sure that, you know, batters entertain the crowds. But they did it because the facts are the bowling staff need time to take 20 wickets. And you can't sugarcoat it any other way. It's the bowlers that have done all the hard work. We can talk about our batting, and it's been quite outstanding, and everyone can talk about that. But our bowling staff has just been tremendous. They're the ones that have taken 20 wickets. You know, the, the Ben Raines, the Matthew Potts, Bryden Cast, Buster later at times. An overseas spinner and, and Matt Parkinson have combined, I think it was 43 or something wickets, which everyone told us that that couldn't be done at the Riverside. But, um, you know, we found a way of, of taking wickets to win games of cricket, and that's the pleasing thing. And like I say, I think, you know, you know the Durham faithful as well as better than me, but, you know, they've been craving for success and I'm just happy that we can deliver some of it. I want to ask you about the Netherlands in a moment, but the one man you didn't mention there was Alex Lees, who I think has not only scored a mountain of runs, but showed really gutsy character, strength of personality, lost his England place. 
and and many said possibly un, unfairly or at least unkindly but my goodness me it's um he's given those bowlers you've spoken about um plenty to work with hasn't he oh 100% like alex has been so good for us this year look at the start of the year i reckon after four or five games he had made maybe 40 every innings and got out and we had those conversations about what was going on. And, and you could see that he was trying so hard. And he also was changing his game. You know, he knows. He wants to play for England. He knows that he's probably had been renowned as a dour sort of a, a traditional opening batter, whereas the new era wanted something a bit more brash. So to find a way to sort of get it an even keel and, and make sure that he was getting the big runs, because he had to make big runs to get into the squad, but also the way he did it. So... The first, I guess, month was a bit sort of frustrating for him. And then he suddenly turned those 40s into 100s. And then, mate, to be honest, he, he has led the way brilliantly. If you know a guy's going to walk out, I, I touch wood to this because he'll probably get knocked over for the next two games. But yeah. he's literally commanded the game. And, and you can see that the, the bowlers, the way they go about it, they just feel like there's a shrug of the shoulders. It's, geez, oh, Alex is in. If he gets to 20... You know he's going to go go on and on and on. So look, he's been fantastic for me. Our job is also is to win, obviously. You know that that's my job. But it's also we're one of the foundation members of English cricket. We need to produce players. And to be honest, Durham produced more than most counties for for England. So my job is to help Alex get back playing for England. And I think it'd be a real shame if he's such a talented player doesn't end up playing more games of Test cricket because he's just a beauty. Yeah, it's, it reminds me, Campbell, it reminds me a lot of, and I've spoke to Scotty about this, Scott Borthwick, who probably the only one left now who crossed over from that time in the sort of late 2000s, um, early 2000s. You know, that we, you know, during my time, teams didn't want to come to play Durham. They, we had like to Divanito, who you played with, Benkenstein in that middle order. Um, and then we had fast bowlers coming out of our backsides that just, just knocked teams over. And it just feels as though it's going back to back to that, you know, the formula which is, you know, Lizzie at the top of the order, Beddingham in the middle, obviously two quality, you know, batters that can really bat for long periods of time. And but I want to talk about Matt Potts because you know Matt Potts and Brian Cass, the two two young bowlers who are in, are on England's radar. You know, Potts is a lot more durable than what Brian's been, but the Durham wicket has gone from being. You know, a, a minefield during the sort of late 90s, early 2000s to the last sort of four or five years where it's been absolutely as flat as anything, not being able to produce results. But somewhere like Matt Potts, especially away from home in England, is that somewhere, is that something that Potts has looked at to go, well, I might not get a game in England because of like to Jimmy and Brody and Wokes, but playing away from home on flatter surfaces. If I'm doing that for Durham and producing performances, that's how I get to play for England. Yeah, 100%, mate. Like, the, the facts are, our wicket has been fantastic this year in where it has been a good cricket wicket. We want to score fast, which means, you know, we probably want a bit of a flatter surface. But that means bowlers have to find a way. And, and that's the one thing that I'm very proud of with our bowling group. At no point, I, I just refuse for them to be saying the words, oh, the wicket's too flat, or this, that, and the other. I would say, well, you've got to find a way. So what different field positions, different um, tactics, different anything you want to do, but you've got to try it. And, and don't just say, oh, well, this wicket's no good for us because, mate, that's just being soft, to be honest. And I'll go as far as saying 
that Matthew Potts is probably a better bowler now and Bryden Cast because of having to bowl on flat wickets. Because mm-hmm. you guys know, this is my first year of county cricket. The one thing that I will say about what I've seen is that there is such a lack of ball speed from the county game. There's too many young fast bowlers who just run in and a little dibbly dobbled. And again, there's a room for that. Don't get me wrong. We've got Ben Rain, but you can't have four of them in your team. And so the, the whole difference for us is that we've brought ball speed to the game, and that's pots and casts. And, you know, when we haven't had them, we look a bit different a team. We've had to go about a different way. But those two guys, I think, no doubt, can play at international level because the pitches are going to be flat. You're not going to get a green seamer, even in England now. Like You don't get green seamers in the test matches. You have to run in and bang it in and, and keep going all day. And, and that's the one thing Potts will do for you. The first ball he bowls in the day will be the same speed as when it is his last. And, and that's a very good quality to have. Final one from me, Cambo. Um, we're all very, very excited about seeing the Netherlands um, at the World Cup and very excited about how they got there. And we've spoken to a number of uh, Netherlands players, Harmi and I, over the last uh, couple of months. And they all talk about the legacy that you left and the seeds of positive cricket that you sowed. You must be very excited as well and proud. Oh, I'm so proud. You know, it's nice. Just uh, It gave me a bit of goosebumps to hear that, you know, guys are, are saying that for me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think your job is as a coach to leave the place in a better position than when you started. And I think, unfortunately, some coaches forget about that. Um, but I was very mindful of where I wanted to take that team and, and what I wanted to leave. And all credit to the guys that have taken the, the young kids who have been given a chance because of that Super League, which unfortunately we've lost, but they played in that Super League. They learnt their way of going, and now they've just elevated their game to another level, which is fantastic. And I, and I wish Ryan Cook and the coaching staff and all the lads the very best. But yeah, it's a bit funny. I'll always watch the Dutch. My two kids still speak Dutch. They watch Dutch TV in the morning, so they, you know, <laughs> I'm surrounded by them. But um, we spent many a, a year there, and look to see what they've done. I, I didn't think, I'll be honest, I didn't think they could get to the uh, to the World Cup because we speak a lot about the Dutch's best players are generally their county guys and when I saw the fixtures that were going to be during the county season it was like oh gee they're, they're going to be without a bowling staff they're going to be without a lot of their best players I copped a bit of stick for making letting Buster later go again I couldn't help myself but um look at the end of the day it's fantastic for world cricket Let, let's not forget that it's not just about the Dutch it's about the little guy achieving yeah. what they're trying to achieve and showing to the world that you know what Cricket does belong, not just in the big place, not the ones who just get all the money. And, you know, it's probably sad that the West Indies aren't at a World Cup and all that, but you can say whatever you want, but that's their own doing. So let's just celebrate the little guy going well and fingers crossed they play well. And, you know, I saw their squad the other day and they've left a few big names out of that squad. So, you know, that that to me shows that the youngsters are improving all the time and, they, and that hopefully they get a, a great chance to achieve on the world stage. And finally, for me, you know, as long as as long as the little guy in county cricket was the first team that the last team that came in, keep performing the way they're doing, I'll be very very happy, man, and seeing you know Durham hopefully at the top end of the first division next year because we've got some exciting talent. I watched man as I watched Durham's under 16s the other day, the EPP squad. Durham have got some exciting young cricketers coming through, and that's something you're going to have to sort of nurture and and hopefully. Um, mould into the next generation, Campbell, because 
fingers crossed, not only will your kids go back to Australia speaking Dutch, hopefully they'll be fluent in Geordie as well. So what <laughs> that would be a, a Geordie speaking uh, Dutch Australian going back to hopefully not for a, a, I mean I mean a long time yet, but you know next year yeah I know it's a long way away, but yeah, have you identified Ryan Campbell the coach and where? Durham need to be to not only compete in that first division, but I think they can go on and give Surrey a good run for the money along with Essex and one or two others to try and win it. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. They, like I, I, I won't lie. I've been looking at that first division and seeing what we'd have to do. Obviously, the addition of Ackerman and Parkinson will be really important for us because not only does Ackerman bring the batting depth that we need, but also they both obviously. One's a very good left-arm spinner, but Ackerman's right-arm off spinner is really, really important for us. But what that does is gives us the opportunity to bring in probably a fast bowler um, with our overseas. Uh, I know David Bettingham will be coming back as our second overseas. So I think that starts to, when you start to look at, okay, it's rain, cast, pots, an overseas fast bowler who I think, if we get who we want to get, everyone will go, ooh, that's good, as well as Parkinson. I think that's a bowling attack that can that can really go against the top teams. And then from a batting point of view, you look at what we've done this year and you add Ackerman to that. We haven't seen the best of Jones yet. Ollie Robson's still improving. I think we've still got a lot of, of improvement to see from him. And, you know, you know what you're going to get from Alex and Scotty Lees. Uh, sorry, Scotty Borthwick. So I think that's a pretty good squad. Our depth is what is going to be always tested. You know, I'm standing here at South Northumberland watching our second team. And, you know, like you said, Harmy, we've got three youngsters who aren't even on staff yet who are leading this attack because we want to see where they're at. Paul Coglin opened the bowling today. So there's plenty there, um, which is exciting. And But again, I don't think we can't just go to the first division and be happy that we're there, we have to compete mm. to win because otherwise we'll find ourselves back in the second division and it was all a waste of time. So, you know, we, we've got some hard work to do. You know, you know better than me, but the people of Durham, the, the staff of Durham, they'll roll up their sleeves. The Marcus North, the Tim Tims of this world, they'll roll up the sleeves. They'll get, it, get the work done. And we as a playing group will do that and we'll compete at the highest level. Ryan Campbell, congratulations once again and uh, enjoy the end of the season. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll continue to look ahead to next month's World Cup, and we'll be joined by the Netherlands all-rounder, Logan van Beek. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm delighted to say, as promised, at the top of the show, we're joined now by Logan van Beek, Netherlands all-rounder. I've been saying for years, Netherlands fast bowler but um i cannot say that now after the greatest super over in the history of one day international cricket the man scored 30 and then took both wickets with the boy it's absolutely incredible logan actually you know what? i've got so many questions for you as does harmy but i need to i can't i need to start with that super over first of all you tied the west indies chasing 374 you then hit every ball of the Super Over for six or four to score 30. And then you took two for eight. And you know what? That still hasn't sunk in with me. It still makes a hair stand up on my arms. Yeah, I think I blacked out maybe for the for that 20 minutes. Well, first the first thing I thought of was I should have won the game in regulation, needing one off one. The field was up and I there was probably the only ball I really overthought it too much where, you, you know, you're facing it and you're going, you know, should I give myself room? Oh, no, no, hold on. Let's not hit in the air. Oh, no. Let it, and, and so, and by the time the ball's released, you know, I planked it to mid-on, who Jason took a good catch. And then talking to the coach, he was trying to work out who we're going to put out there for the Super Over. And, you know, Max was mentally shot for the last two hours, kind of with the highs and lows of what we were doing out there with the bat. Taja was exhausted uh, after scoring 100 off seven 70 balls, but he was like, yeah, I'll still do it. Uh, and then Scott was kind of keen to do it, but I'm not quite sure if I, you know, if he goes wide hole, what should I do? Uh, and so I just kind of said to the coach, I said, look, give me redemption here. I, I have a feeling, feeling what he's going to do. Just give me redemption. And, uh, and 30 didn't really come to mind. I, I was thinking maybe 12 would be quite good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, um, it's still pretty, you know, I just spent the weekend with my mate in London and I hadn't seen him since, since doing uh, that super over, and he, yeah, he was said he was losing the plot in Croatia, uh, trying to get Wi-Fi while he's watching it, and and I'm glad that you started the show with all rounder. I'm very happy to to be uh, an all rounder now, not just the bowler. Well, I've gone I've gone from the fast bowler to all round. So yeah, when you when you finish, <laughs> you'd, you'd actually put we're on big time. So what a phenomenal achievement! Not only you know I was saying about the super over. But you know, the Netherlands are qualified for, for the World Cup. You're watching England against New Zealand. You're seeing what the competition's doing from so close quarters. Um, how's the squad? You know, what's the feeling like and the aspirations of, of going to India, you know, representing the Netherlands um, and playing in the, the first World Cup for 12 years? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. First and foremost, you know, for us, it's not unbelievable. It's remarkable is the word that we kind of use to think about us going to the World Cup because within the camp, we knew we could do it. Uh, so that first hurdle of, of qualifying was fantastic. 
And I think the 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 excitement has kind of worn off a little bit in, in the sense of, cool, we've made it, but now we're actually putting in the work. And the boys have just come back from a camp in, in India. Speaking to the coach, he said they, they had a fantastic camp, lots of development, you know, lots of positive things came out of the camp, um, which is fantastic. We've got guys here in, in county cricket playing some good cricket. And so the, the guys are preparing well and, and now it's, it's full focus is on how do we make those semifinals of the World Cup. Um, and so the environment's great. You know, everything is, is in a good place at the moment. We've had probably an unfortunate injury with Fred Clarsen going down. He, you know, he's a left arm, very experienced white ball bowler. Uh, and a big character in our in our team, so that's that's a big loss for us. But again, the mentality that we've had, especially this year, is just next man up, and we've kind of gone with the the theme of total cricket. And you probably would have been familiar with total football back with Johan uh, Cruyff back in the day. So that's kind of our theme is total cricket. We're going to do whatever we can do to to win the match. And if that's running twos more twos than the other team, if that's, you know, being more accurate with the ball, if that's, you know, catching all our catches, we just got to somehow find a way. And so, no, the boys are, are now definitely in, in work mode and trying to, to trying to prepare the best they can. I'd got to ask you about your, your heritage. Now, as far as I understand it, your paternal grandfather emigrated from the West Indies, for whom he played test cricket, to New Zealand, for whom he also played test cricket. Your maternal grandfather... Um, emigrated to New Zealand from the Netherlands. So you're born and bred New Zealander. You were always ambitious to play cricket for New Zealand. And I believe you you were a goal setter. So you you wanted to play in the 2015 World Cup and the 2019 World Cup. Only ever thought about playing for New Zealand. But because of uh, your maternal grandfather's heritage from the Netherlands, you apparently had an unused, hitherto unused Dutch passport in your bedside drawer, <laughs> which you are now making very, very good use of. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, definitely a, a mixed background. So my 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 grandfather from Trinidad and Tobago, Simpson Gillen, he he did a test tour with the, the West Indies, and then they went to Australia, New Zealand. He met a guy in Christchurch, New Zealand. You know, he liked the country so much that he said, look, if you get me a job, I'll, I'll come back. Six months later, he, he got a ring from the guy, said, I've got you a job. That afternoon, he hopped on an oil tanker. And then three weeks later, he was, he was in New Zealand. And when you think of a passionate cricketer and cricket fan, he, he loved cricket and he thought it was the greatest sport, greatest thing that's ever been invented. Uh, and so that's where the cricketing genes come from is that, you know, he, he put a cricket bat in my hand before I could, you know, stand. He used to throw balls non-stop at me uh i was a wicket keeper till i was 18 just like him and uh i got taught you know how to keep and uh but he was yeah the, the most passionate cricket fan out there my dutch uh grandfather on the other hand didn't believe in sport you know he was he he came over from holland working class uh worked on a farm eventually bought a farm eventually bought a a, a subdivision in uh, nelson top of the South Island and did very well for himself in terms of uh, successful and successful in business. But he, you know, my, when my father was born in Reefton, New Zealand, he didn't play sport till he was 18 at police college. 
because his father said, look, you know, you're not going to make money by playing sport. So I, I pretty much had two opposite grandparents. One loves sport and sport's the greatest thing ever invented. And the other hand, sport is a waste of time. You're not going to make money with sports, so why play it? So yeah, so that's a little bit of the, the history. The The passport, my father was onto it. You know, he, he had a passport. And when I was about five, I, I can remember him, we were flying up, we flew up to Wellington and didn't really know what was going on. I got a passport uh, photo taken and I had to sign a few things and these people were talking Dutch behind the, the counter. Uh, and then, yeah, it, it pretty much went into the, the back drawer and uh, I didn't pull it out till till I was about 22 when I flew over to the Netherlands to play a club season and let them know that I, I had a Dutch passport. I, I played a CB40 uh, game against Essex in 2012. Then the next time I played for the Netherlands was 2014 at the T20 World Cup in Bangladesh. And so played 2014 World Cup in Bangladesh, then played the 2016 World Cup in India, and then had a little bit of a hiatus. Cricket was, was going quite well in, in New Zealand. I started playing New Zealand A games uh, and was thinking that, you know, I'm getting quite close to to achieving my goal, which was, which is and was, whatever, how you look at it, to, to play for New Zealand. And then just through the nature of how careers kind of play out, you know, poorly timed injuries, you know, not enough performances, um, you know, being behind guys, you know, the New Zealand team in the last few years has been a pretty tough team to, to crack into. And then it got to after post-COVID 2021 and uh, there was a World Cup in, in Dubai at the end of that year. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'd be keen to get back with the Dutch. So I, I rang Ryan Campbell and said, look, you know, you know, I'm keen to get back involved. And he said, well, you know, you've got to, you got to prove your spot in his classic Australian <laughs> accent. And so, yeah, flew over in April 2021 and, and played played a club season there and, and tried to prove my my worth. Uh, and then, again, flowed on to the 2022 season where we played a number of ODI matches, some more infamous probably from our side, especially that 498 game against the England and, and Amsterdam. That was that was more of a nightmare than a than a dream. And then yeah, now we've we've we had a successful time at the T twenty World Cup in Australia in twenty twenty two and it's just yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying my time with the Dutch and it and it's given me opportunities to play uh, all around the world. Went to Canada recently for the T twenty league and, and now I'm here in, in Worcester. I'm actually sitting on the balcony and yeah, it's just uh, it's I guess it's a long story long uh, of my heritage. <laughs> and you, you talk about being sat on the balcony at Worcester and um, you mentioned about how you know well the Netherlands have done and uh, me and Manners have been doing this show for nearly two years now and we've been championing the cause of, well, English cricket wants to reduce the amount of games. And I've always been a believer that, well, why don't you bring three more teams in and then have you know three groups of seven as opposed to you got 21 teams and bring the Netherlands, bring Scotland and bring Ireland into our T20 and 50 over competition. How important is it for the emerging nations like the Netherlands and Scotland that their players can get exposed to play at Worcester like you've done and pass the leaders up at Durham, where I am at this moment in time? How important is it? And would you like to see that as individuals or would you like to see the Netherlands get a chance to play more meaningful cricket in, in English first class stuff? I think that's a fantastic idea. A lot of the reason why we've qualified for this year's World Cup is our experience that we had in the Super League over the last two years. And look, we didn't win many games during that Super League series. We lost Afghanistan, England, West Indies, New Zealand, Pakistan, 
all these 3-0, you know. But we had opportunities in games to win them. We didn't quite get over the line, but we, we learned from those experiences. We, you know, we had a, lot, a young squad that were put into the fire pretty early. Uh, and then that all manifested into us going to qualifiers this year and not being daunted by the situation or the team that we were playing, knowing that we've, we've gone against this for the last year or so. So us qualifying for the World Cup was a result of being playing more crickets, playing higher competition crickets. And if the Netherlands, Scotland and Ireland are involved in the, CB, in the One Day Cup or the Blast, the net result of that is the guys are individually going to get better. They're going to get more experience, more exposure to the you know Netherlands cricket is gonna is gonna improve and and thrive because that's the thing that we battle with is that when we play matches, if we lose the match, we lose funding, we lose fixtures, we lose you know the next year of of our cricket because post the T Twenty World Cup next year, there's not really much cricket after that. So the more we can find ways to uh, to play higher level cricket, the, the better and. You know, I've I've been lucky enough to play at Derbyshire in 2019 and 2021, and and this year in in Worcester, and it's a good level of cricket. You know, it's it's competitive, especially from a a bowling side. You know, you, the amount of batters that England have and the style that they play, it's tough, and it's well supported, it's well set up, and I I think it, there's lots of value in the Netherlands being a part of an English competition. Final one from me, Logan. Um, Ryan Campbell's a brilliant coach and he's now proving it with Durham, um, having done so with uh, the Netherlands first of all. And I've known Ryan Cook for a long time. I think he's one of the most talented young coaches. So so there's a really good support structure at the moment for Netherlands cricket. I want to talk India and we'll talk about this World Cup. You know, a lot of people going like, oh, well, that okay, we're playing the Netherlands in Pune or Kolkata or wherever. That, the, at least we'll get two points there. I just can't help thinking that you're going to upset a few big apple carts and win a couple of games. And you know what? I've been saying to people, Kenya reached the World Cup semi-finals in 2003. Don't write the Dutch off. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, we, we, we've got the goal of, of, of reaching the semi-finals. That's, that's clear-cut. Ryan Cook said it. It's, it's repeated, uh, repeated in our group chats. Uh, when we go to trainings, it's spoken about a lot. Like, we're not, we're not just going to the World Cup to make up be the 10th team we're going to the world cup to make the semi-finals and you know in order to make the semi-finals we do need to upset a few teams and so the beauty about cricket is is that on the given day it's 11 blokes against 11 blokes and it just takes you know one or two, two guys to have a good day out and you know anything can happen but i think what the qualifiers did do was it, re- it confirmed to us that we can compete at the highest level and, you know, we're, we are going to treat every game and we're going to prepare. You know, Ryan Cook does a, a wonderful job in terms of preparation, in terms of the plans that he has, the time he puts into the scouting and, and um, the themes around some of our games. So that when we, when we get to the morning of the game, you look around and go, yeah, everyone's ready to go. We're prepared. And, you know, there's going to be moments in this World Cup that's going to be tough. It's for sure. You know, that's that's the reality of it. You know, there's going to be situations and games that it's, you know, you're going to be in front of the whole world and I might be none for 70 off seven overs and I've still got to bowl my last three overs and, you know, they're two down for 280 or whatever it is. But I'm going to smile in that moment knowing that I'm in that moment rather than at home watching it on TV and I far rather fail in that moment 
than not be there there at all. So I think that's the attitude that we're going to have as as players as well, that we're going to be grateful that we're in those situations and not be embarrassed or not be gutted to be there. We we're actually, we're actually earned the right to be there. So we're going to smile and we're going to compete. And I, there was a quote that came on ICC Crick Info around, you know, better be aware or else you're going to cop it like the West Indies. And the quote kind of got a little bit misconstrued a little bit, but it's, it's, it's more the fact that it's like, you know, don't take us lightly because it's a game of cricket at the end of the day. And we're all cricketers and, you know, we've got, we can easily win the game. Logan, just finally from me, if, you know, in 12 months time, me and Manners will still be here. We'll get you back on. Are we going to see, you know, the positivity you have about the game is ridiculous. So I want to ask you as an individual, where do you see yourself in 12 months time? Do you see yourself in another, another county? Are you going to push to get sort of, you know, more cricket in New Zealand? The Netherlands potentially getting qualifying for the semi-final, but Logan Van Beek, where do you want to be as an individual cricketer come this time next year? Yeah, well, what are we in? We're in September next year. So I, I think if I could, if I could play out my twelve months, uh, it would uh, play this World Cup, make the semi-final, go back to Wellington, win a title with with Wellington. IPL would be, you know, amazing to experience that. Uh, I think then we got the T Twenty World Cup on the back of that in June play that and then I think uh, I would love to come back and, and get an opportunity with with a county as well. For me, I've, I've, I've played six seasons six seasons on the bounce now. Uh, I've, I haven't really stopped and I've, I'm a big believer that, you know, it's hard to have a, a big break from bowling and then get the rhythm back and I think that my saving grace in the last three years is the fact that I've just keep the body going uh, and so, you know, look, I, I'm keen to play for the next five or six years and I want to play as much high-level cricket as I possibly can, and I'm going to be available for anything, any opportunity to put my name out there and and help team win, t- teams win. So you know, look, look, there are a few things that I would love to achieve, but if I'm on the park playing a professional cricket game somewhere, I'm a happy chappy. Um, most World Cups, um, New Zealand are everybody's favourite second team, apart from New Zealand is of course their favourite team. But I think you'll find um, that the men in orange at this World Cup, will be everybody's favourite uh, second team, apart from the, the Dutch supporters. I mean, I think you're going to get huge, huge amount of support and and enjoy it. We'll be watching very, very... In fact, I'll, I'll be over there, so we might even catch up for a cup of tea at some point. But enjoy <laughs> the experience. Um, you have done an enormous amount to get the Dutch there. Um, and I know that uh, you will savour every moment, even when, as you said, things aren't going so well. That's it. Uh, you know, if you see me smiling, uh, that's that's a good thing. If uh, if I'm not smiling, Neil, then you make sure you when we have that cup of tea, you remind me of this uh, this interview. Uh, but no, thank you, thanks guys for for having me on the show, and I look forward to meeting in person. That was uh, Netherlands all rounder Logan Van Beek. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer Steve Harmison. Right, let's round up uh, the week's business. First of all, Harmy, I said that I was going to ask you about Trent Bolt in part two, and I forgot all about <laughs> it. How good was he? And um, I mean, seriously, like New Zealand cricket. I mean, you, you get somebody who's bowling it that well, you know, probably the best swing bowler in the world. Of course you're going to play him in world events, ICC events, and I think other boards will follow suit. You know what? Let their best players cash in elsewhere. And if they only want to play the big events and they're that good, fair enough. Absolutely, and I think... We're going to find definitely more Trent Bolts uh, around the world doing that. And I think we're missing, some, sometimes you can miss the point as well because 
if Turnbull turns a contract down, that means there's more money to go around to give to somebody else that we can try and develop. So there might be a young Trent Bolt left armour in New Zealand, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, where you get a couple of them that would cover the cost of it, their contracts and try and nurture them into be the next Trent Bolt that comes through. So I think as long as as long as long selection panels stay sort of consistent with what they're trying to achieve, their coaching and, cap, their coaching captain is on, is on message with what they're trying to achieve. And then when you come to the, the big events, that's where they earn their coin and picking and having, not the gut, but having the foresight to go, right, we'll pick the best 15 that go to the World Cup. Trent Bolt was going to be in the best 15, even though he's not contracted. But what his contract, him not going, you know, having a contract, will give somebody else that we can develop into making sure the pool of players, of players is a lot better. England's going to do that, I would imagine, in the next year, two years. That's coming because there's going to be a hell of a lot of cricketers in England who will turn their central contracts down. What's what's on offer around the world? Okay, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Mark Wood playing in the ILT20, that's the UAE League, and being paid either $400,000 or £400,000 or whatever it was. It was a lot of money and um, and and missing England's test series in India. Ben Stokes has been talking about that and says that uh, he wouldn't blame Mark Wood at all if he took the money. As an individual, now we know that the whole landscape of cricket is changing and that is great for the individuals who are still within the game, but also great for the, for the guys who are now coming through. You know, the opportunities that are presented now for, for cricketers in particular is, is amazing and it's, it's great for the sport. It's going to, the more opportunities that come, the more people are going to be attracted to play the sport and try and make a career out of it. And uh, everyone's at a different point in their life, not only just their career, where you know, other things have to be thought about um, by them as an individual. And at the end of the day, if a person makes a decision because they feel that's the best one, not only for themselves, but also for the future and security of their families, then it's very hard to disagree with something that they make. So what I've got to understand as a captain that there might be some decisions in place make, and I'm very, very comfortable and aware of some things like that might happen. But look, it's, it's up to the individual. And I think having a real good and clear understanding that the landscape of cricket is changing in front of our eyes very quickly makes things like this a bit more easy to understand if players were to choose to do something like that, if that makes sense. England Test Captain Ben Stokes talking about uh, Mark Wood. And uh, Harmy, yeah, I mean, that is the way it's going, isn't it? Um, you know, if it was the Ashes, I think Mark Wood would definitely play in them. But it's a five-match Test Series in India. Yes, it's part of the World Test Championship, but, um, you know, slow, low pitches and uh, he's got 400,000 big ones to uh, to consider. And Ben Stokes is almost sounding like he's saying, go and take them. Yeah, I think he is saying go and take them. I think he's saying that it doesn't surprise what, you know, from a financial point of view, what's on offer. It's got to be sort of managed well from EDB's point of view, Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullum and, and Rob Keon how they plan that India tour, but it wouldn't surprise me if if Mark does take the IL-20 first part of that India series off um, and then becomes available for the latter part. But if you look at it in the last couple of years, to be honest, Manners, when we've gone into big series and when we've gone into uh, series around the world, Mark has not played in the early test parts of test match. He didn't play in the early parts in the West Indies. He didn't play in the early parts in South Africa. He didn't play in the early parts of the Ashes um, because he was injured. So I would not surprise me if, but I don't think he's going to be the only one. I think there might be one or two others who don't go to India for the first part of the trip 
because of what the financial rewards that's on offering. I don't think you can blame them now. I really don't think if if you're you're looking at what's on offer from a financial point of view for some of these best players around the world, from from Rob Key's point of view, how can you turn around a, a player and say, "Well, you're not going to go. We're not letting you go there." with the money that's it's life-changing sums of money for such a short period of time. So I think I think it's inevitable that Mark Wood might be the first one from England that does that. But I know for a, I know one thing for certain, he definitely won't be the last. Okay, three minutes to go. Um, Rob Walter is South Africa's white ball coach, and he was talking about Quinton de Kock's decision to retire again. Uh, they do it in stages, these uh, multi-format players. He retired from Test cricket at the age of 28. He's going to retire from ODI cricket after the World Cup at the ripe old age of 30, but uh, he'll still be available in T20 cricket. And he's going to cash in. He's going to play T20 franchise cricket for the rest of his career. This was what Rob Walter said about Quinton de Kock's decision. We are living in an ever-changing uh, world of cricket where the league, the league space is, is strong and becoming more powerful. The pull on players to be available for national teams as well as league sides and the inevitable clashing of those two which is what we're seeing now that's inevitable it's happened already and it will continue to happen probably even more so i think the most important thing is is really managing that whole situation trying to understand the players needs obviously the the needs of the south african side as we lead up to a world cup Um, i think the benefit of it is is that Whatever happens, our players will be playing T20 cricket um, and strong T20 cricket in the lead-up to a World Cup. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of water yet to pass under the bridge. And uh, if we aren't malleable and flexible in the, in, in the way we manage things, the inevitable end point is that players are going to leave the, leave the international game and follow the leagues, which is the last thing we want. South African white ball coach Rob Walter. And now then, uh, Sri Lanka beat England comprehensively in uh, the T20 International Series, which uh, came as a big surprise to many. But um, Tammy Beaumont, interestingly, said after the series that uh, it was possibly the best thing that could have happened to England. If you think for a moment about being a neutral uh, women's cricket supporter, the fact Sri Lanka are capable of beating England in a T20 Series, the fact Pakistan have beaten South Africa, is possibly the best thing for the global women's game. And it being marketable in the future and growing the game, you know, you've got to have competitive cricket that people want to watch. And it's got to be close and exciting and last ball finishes and those kind of things. And um, the fact that Sri Lanka have invested in their women's cricketers, the fact that they're investing in it and they're getting results means they're going to invest more in it and they're going to get better. And yeah, as much as it hurts to have lost to them and we'll be reeling and we're desperate to put it right for the global women's game. It's a must. There's no point in 10 years time, only England, India and Australia kind of fighting it out at the top three and all the rest of the cricket not being worth it. So, yeah, for a moment, if I take my England hat off, it's absolutely the best thing for for the women's game. That's Tammy Beaumont suggesting that uh, the England women needed a bit of a wake up call and they got it. And they're certainly playing better cricket in uh, the ODI series. Interesting comment that, uh, Harmi, just quickly. Yeah, it was. And I think it was a shot to to all the, the nations that are playing cricket in in the women's game it's the product's getting better because of the likes of the 100 and world tournaments so there's no surprise that you know the smaller nations are catching up we've seen it in the world cup when it comes to the football with the women's world cup you know all the big nations got knocked out early stages and you're scratching your head going on that's not supposed to happen usa aren't supposed to go out and Sri Lanka aren't supposed to be england england 
took the foot off the gas a little bit, rested a couple of players, a couple of injuries. And all of a sudden, um, the confidence that gives not only Shrank, but teams around the world, that they can compete against the big three. Um, I think Tammy's right. I think it's great to see, and it's good for women's cricket that it's happened. But since the, the T20s, Nats give a brunch come back in England, uh, look as though they're um, a much better team for that in the longer format of the of the white ball game. The goal's starting to get a little bit bigger. But yeah, it was, I think Tammy's got a point. Okay, well, never did I think in the uh, two years we've been doing this show that uh, we would have the Arctic Monkeys uh, make an appearance, but um, here here they are. I'm talking about the Arctic Monkeys because an Arctic Monkeys concert at the EGS Bowl uh, resulted in a below-average pitch um, for Hampshire's game against Essex, and uh, they've duly been ducked three points with uh, 20 points suspended and a fine of £5,000. But that story is not our final word this week, Harmi. I think the final word... <laughs> Goes to Sri Lanka coach Chandika Hathrasinga, um, or oh, sorry, Bangladesh coach Chandika Hathrasinga, the former Sri Lanka batsman, who uh, was talking about the decision of the organising committee of the Asia Cup to spontaneously decide that there would be a reserve day for the second India-Pakistan match after the first <laughs> game was rained off. Those fixtures, of course, being played in Sri Lanka during monsoon season. So you're asking for trouble um, yeah. to start off with. <laughs> but, I mean, the Asia Cup is basically built around, it's structured for India and Pakistan to play each other three times in the group stage, in the Super 4 stage, and then hopefully in the final. And the organisers will do whatever they possibly can to make sure that those games go ahead. And there's poor old Chandika Hathering Singer saying, well, I mean, that's just not fair. What happens if they get points on the reserve day and, and we don't have a reserve day for our game and then we don't reach the final? You just see the the organising committee sitting around the the uh, the boardroom chair uh, table in the <laughs> Asia Cup head office saying, uh, I think you're missing the point, Chandika. Yeah, I think you're missing the point in a big, big way. But And, uh, and it is. It's great to see India play against Pakistan. Um, it just seems as though every time they do, something comes out of the woodwork to highlight how, you know, obviously obviously political relations are between the two nations. Whenever India do play Pakistan, something does crop up sort of left field to make sure it's highlighted even more that we are, obviously we are so sad that we can't have India playing against Pakistan in India or in Pakistan over sort of bilateral series because the cricket in them countries are, you know, ridiculous. But it does unearth sometimes some left field, either strange comments or strange activities to sort of highlight what a what a tragedy it is that we don't get to see, you know, these, these two great nations play head to head. But again, like I said, a little bit earlier in the series, a little bit earlier in the show, Wazim Akram had some interesting, uh, interesting things to say on, um, on the TV commentary um, the other day. And I'm sure, I'm sure he was, uh, well, he wasn't, indirectly send them towards the India, the BCCI or the top man, Jay Shah. I think he was actually saying it to him. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any repercussions of, of that from the great Pakistan all-rounder. I actually think he had a point. Yes, indeed, and he often does. Well, you've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, 
You can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available as always, actually, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back at the same time next week to continue looking ahead to the start of the World Cup. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 